Well, this morning we are going to speak about Mary's song, and um, we'll take a little while to get there. But um, this picks up where last week we left off in Matthew chapter, Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, when Mary received the announcement from Gabriel, who said, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. So this is the declaration that comes to Mary. And, you know, again, she's a 15, 16-year-old young girl from a um, kind of a, an out-of-the-way uh, community, tucked away, that uh, very few people uh, would consider it a destination, this Nazareth. And so we find that um, Mary is from this place called Nazareth. And um, we find that the, another great text in this scripture is in Luke 1.40. It says, when Mary entered Zacharias' house and greeted Elizabeth. So what happens is, when after Mary has received this announcement from the angel that she's going to have a child, and she says, well, how is this going to happen? Um, and the angel Gabriel says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then in that process, in that conversation that angel is having with Mary, she also lets her know, your cousin Elizabeth is with child. And, I mean, this is a, this is a big, big deal because Elizabeth is beyond the age of having children. And so when Mary hears this declaration, well, after the angel, and the, perhaps the next day, Mary starts making arrangements to go visit Elizabeth. And I think that the, the challenge is that if Mary, understanding what, Angel, the angel Gabriel has said to her, and to have a confirmation that Elizabeth, who is <laughs> beyond the age of having children, and her and Zechariah are having a child, she, she travels the 40 miles to, to go see her, her cousin Elizabeth. And then this is where we have verse 40 of chapter 1. Uh, when Mary entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth exclaimed in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is your child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of our Lord should come to me? So Mary is less than four weeks into her pregnancy, um, and the angel, which the angel Gabriel had announced to her. And Elizabeth had no way of naturally knowing what was going on. She had no way of, you know, there was no telegraph, <laughs> uh, no, no letters sent ahead of time uh, to tell Elizabeth she's coming and that she has, you know, she's with child and giving the details of the angel. There's no way that all this takes place. She shows up and she has this greeting uh, from Elizabeth and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and it would have been God who gave her this revelation because when mary gave the declaration uh you know she's here and elizabeth is like wow she has this overwhelming sense of god's presence and this revelation of wow this is happening <laughs> that the, why is the mother of our lord come to see me so elizabeth is uh just oh how can i say it overwhelmed by this experience and so it's a confirmation not only to Elizabeth, but also to, to Mary. So we remember that Luke 
is the only, and as we're writing this and we're reading through the, the Gospel of Luke, a couple of things to remember. Luke is the only Gentile, non-Jewish individual that writes any of the Gospels or any of the letters. We find that his response, um, uh, he is responsible for writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. And he's kind of giving us this, this history of what happens from the very beginning with John the Baptist right on through uh, to the end of Acts to the early church. So it is important in our reading of the gospel that Luke expressly states that he has obtained a lot of the information from eyewitnesses and that um, they were giving him an account of what had happened. Um, we know that Luke was referred to by Paul as a physician. So Paul, uh, Luke is a, an individual who is, let's say, for, you know, he's, a, he's a very intelligent individual. And whenever he writes about the virgin birth, I mean, he's a physician uh, of his time. He, he's no slouch. Um, he's an individual who knows, you know, the, how things work. And so he is committed to writing down the sequences of events. Now, it does not take away from the divine inspiration that we have with Luke in his writing and what he records in, in his gospel and in the, in, the, in the book of Acts. The scripture talks about how holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. There were times, like in Paul, in his writings, Paul went away um, after his conversion on the road to Damascus. Paul went away for three years, and he went out into the desert region near a couple of cities, and there it was that he received this uh, revelation about Jesus, and, uh, and he writes about Christ, and he's, he's this, Paul is this genius of a man. He is the uh, Pharisee of the Pharisee. He's a, he is the elite of the elite of his society, and he is going off in the desert to, to learn about Christ and what this application of Jesus is going to be to the Old Testament and how the Old Testament is finding its fulfillment in Christ. So Paul went off on his own, and the Spirit and Paul, you know, brought all of this together in Paul's understanding, and three years later, Paul comes back on the scene in the church. But for Luke, he has the opposite. Luke does the interviews. He's the physician. He's the one, let's talk to the people who were actually there. Let's, un let's understand how all of this works. And then after he, can, you know, compiles this information, um, the Holy Spirit then moves upon him to write and to tell us what went on and how, th and th those are the words that we have. So we would say that Luke's research uh, is no exception to the, to the understanding that the gospel that he writes <coughs> still is divinely inspired. It is, it is written um, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing is, in writing the scriptures. God does not knock the guy out, and, you know, and it's not dictation. You know, God inspires them, and it's, it's interesting if you look at the, the words, the vocabulary of some of the, the um, authors of, of the books. We find that the individuals who were the, well, the farmer, the, you know, plowman who walking behind the oxen, his vocabulary is much, uh, his vocabulary is very limited because of his education. He uses, as it were, 
smaller words or more um, words that would be common language. And then Isaiah, he's, he's a man of the court, and he's a man of, you know, learned, and his vocabulary is much greater. So what we're saying is the Holy Spirit has used individual, and he uses them in their, who they are as a person, and he doesn't, you know, give them words they don't understand. He gives inspiration that they are able to put within the words that they understand. And so it's important then as we look at how God is inspiring Luke and inspiring here uh, Elizabeth, how that it is so very important. Now, one of the, one of the things we've said, you said last week, um, Mary, she's probably 15, 16 years old. Um, she's a young girl, uh, but that was the normal age that, uh, that they would be married. She, uh, most often they were married to older men who had occupations that could support uh, a wife and family. And Mary is, how can we say this? She's not just a peasant who spent her life in the kitchen and, uh, and uh, sitting within the, in the hut, so to speak, in her house. We have Mary, she has this understanding of the scriptures. And we're going to find out, like, whenever Mary and her, we're going to read it in a, in a moment. I'm, I'm getting there, you know, slowly. But uh, in Mary's declaration, she quotes uh, Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, it, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. Now, how would Mary know what Hannah's prayer was in 1 Samuel if she was not an individual who spent time where the rabbis would be speaking? So there was supposedly no synagogue in Nazareth. So her father, on being a good uh, Jew, a, a reverent individual, would travel to the synagogue to hear the rabbi speak. And so Mary would have accompanied him. Now, she could have never sat in on these words. She would have had to stay at the door or behind the bars and listen from a distance because women did not have a place there. But when we look at Mary, she has this heart, this spirit, this understanding of sacred things. And she, when, whenever she prays, and we're going we're to get there, she reiterates or speaks of some of what Hannah says. Hannah prayed, then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So that's Hannah's prayer in, in 1 Samuel. But we find that Mary would not have had access to the scrolls. She would not have had a, a, a position where she could have gone in and let's read, the, you know, like we read the Bible and things. She would have not had access to those things. But she would have spent time in prayer and in seeking God, and she would have probably heard these in the synagogue whenever she went to visit there. So she was a very devout and a very poor young girl. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. That, in some terminology, well, it refers to, in, in the Greek, it is referred to as the Magnificat, 
which it means that the, my, my, my soul glorify, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So this phrase puts together a couple of things for us. One is that she glorifies in God. Now, it's only been a couple of weeks since the angel has spoken to her, and she has divinely conceived this, this child. So all of this just doesn't, uh, the things that happen with Mary and her spiritual, this outburst, this declaration that she is going to present here, it just doesn't come upon her in the last two weeks. This has been part of her life. This service, this commitment to God has been a, a part of her life from, from many years because she is, she is above, she is set apart, she is noticed by God. And it's important as we look at this, many of the women at that time would pray, were prayed for the coming of the Messiah. And many of them prayed that it would be them. Well, Mary <laughs> probably prayed for the coming of the Messiah, but she probably never prayed that it would be her. Because she was in a, <laughs> she lived in Nazareth. And remember what they said about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth, you know? That Nazareth is an out-of-the-way place, and it's kind of forgotten, and, you know, it's a very poor community. So if someone were praying for the Messiah, you would say, well, let him come to a more elaborate family, a more wealthy individuals or family. So Mary was not one who would be praying and saying, I want the Messiah to come, you know, be born through me. No, she would have been praying that the Messiah would come and save Israel. And uh, so we see in verse 48 that, And he, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has been mindful of who, basically she is saying, of who I am. Humility, humble, not precocious, not putting herself out there above other people. She's probably a person that is not noticed <laughs> in her community. She's, she's one who is maybe off to herself and very, you know, very much involved in taking care of or helping people, the poor. But she, she isn't one that people would, you know, put on, a, oh, that's Mary, she's really holy, you know. No, they wouldn't have probably noticed her. But he's, she states here that, um, that God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has been mindful of where I am who I am. We say that all the time, that God knows exactly who you are, where you are. He knows your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. He doesn't pass judgment and say, get out of, you know, I know where I'm going to put you. No, he, he longs to forgive. He longs to be, be in relationship with us. And no matter what our thoughts, no matter what our past, no matter what it is, God wants to be in relationship to us. And Mary is saying um, that God has remembered this humble place. If, you, if you've ever seen one of the homes in Israel um, at the time period, they're, they're, there may be 10 by 10. You know, that's it. And maybe if they're fortunate enough, they might have another room where they would sleep. But they would, that, was their, that was their house. They would eat, sleep, all in this one 10 by 10 room. And everything was there. The whole family was there. Uh, we think that that's a little off. Just go to El Salvador where David, uh, our son, 
uh, goes, and those, the poor in those rural communities, that's what they live in, <laughs> a 10 by 10 hut. That's all they have. So in ancient times, this was a 10 by 10 mud brick home that Mary would have lived in, and she would have, and if, if it was a, uh, a nice home, she would have been above the norm. And then she says this, this, this phrase, from now on all generations will call me blessed. People would sometimes read that and say, well, that's not very humble. <laughs> if she's this humble girl, why is, why is she saying all generations are calling me blessed? Well, Mary declare, declaration was simply recognizing and accepting the gift that God had given to her. She was recognizing God had given her a very special gift. And she wasn't going to say, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that important. But she realized the importance of her gift. The Son of God was going to be born in her, through her. And she recognized the gift. And so being re recognizing the gifts that you have is not the same as putting your gifts above somebody else. You have special talents. You have special things that you do. And, and the challenge for us is to take those things and honor them before God and, and uplift them and say, thank God for these types of things. If Mary had denied her incredible position, she would have been throwing the blessing back at God and saying, what is this? <laughs> well, pride is refusing to accept God's gift and taking credit for what God has done. Humility is accepting the gifts and using them to praise and serve God. So we find that Mary does that in this lesson, and he didn't, she doesn't deny what God is doing in her. Verse 49. For the mighty one, God, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has done great things for me. All right. Well, wait a minute. She has had the angel speak to her maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And she is saying, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I don't think this is just something new that has arrived in her life, like she's this person who is, I don't know, um, kind of living the life the way she wants and doing her thing and off doing, you know. She's a, she's a person who is compassionate and kind and has a heart towards God and has been praying for God to do a work in the nation of Israel. And she finds that this, this is a combination of who she is. At the time, it was a common prayer, as we said, for young women to want to be chosen for the birth of the Messiah. Mary knew what it was like to give thankless service to people. She knew what it was like to help people and not be receive adequate uh, compensation for it. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Fear is not the idea of, uh, you're, I, <laughs> um, I'm going to get even with you. The fear is a reverential awe of God. Blessed are those, uh, his mercy extends to those who have a reverential respect for him. So the theme of mercy 
plays a significant part in what is happening with, with uh, Mary here and events here leading up to Jesus' birth. Mercy is divine favor. We talk about it that God's mercy is extended to all of us. And that what it's saying to us is God's divine favor is extended to us. God thinks of us all, that we are all precious in the sight of the Lord. And God asks us for us to make him number one in our life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And you see, all of us are at the same place. Christ is the top of our pyramid, so to speak. And then all these things in life fall into place underneath them. So when we're praying that God would be with us and help us, we are praying that God would be the top one in our life because each one of us are the top in his life. No one is beneath the other. We are all equal in the sight of God. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. We all have different things that we do. But is that God is number one, and then all these things will be added unto us. And the challenge is for us, like Mary, to be grateful for all the things that God has given to us. And so at the top of our pyramid is God, and right underneath that is a gratitude of, uh, for what God is doing. We find it happens from generation to generation. It is God's pure love and compassion that prompted him to go to such lengths to respond to the miserable plight of humankind that he would give himself to die for our sin. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. This is kind of the, this is the nature of true goodness. He has provided mighty deeds and displayed his mighty love through what he is doing. God's mercy also thinks of others. He thinks of you. His mercy is extended to us. And Mary praises God that others are made partakers of his mercy. That she doesn't just think of this as focusing on her. Proud. They are scattered in their thoughts. They are consumed by personal <laughs> selfish thoughts. So, Again, giving the character. Here she is, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl, having these types of thoughts where people who are, are so proud of themselves and arrogant in themselves, he say, she, she's saying they're scattered in their thoughts. They really don't have it together. Verse 51, we just read that. He has performed mighty deeds. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Perhaps she's remembering Pharaoh in Egypt, and God has brought down the Pharaoh of Egypt, and the humble people who were their slaves, God delivered them, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So those who were rich considered themselves privileged in the sight of God, and perhaps they were the ones who were saying, surely God will come through us and through our lineage and through our family, but the poor... They were the ones, the poorest of the poor. And, you know, when we think of the birth of Jesus, the poorest of the poor in the poorest village, Mary in Nazareth, gave the birth to Jesus in Bethlehem in a cave, laid him in a feed trough. <laughs> Can't get much 
more poor than that. So Jesus came in that setting that no one could ever say, he doesn't, he's never, he's on our level. <laughs> he's not on our level. He's too good. No, he's on our level. He has helped his servant Israel and, remem- and remembering to be merciful. He, God has comforted his people when they felt feeble and in danger, when they felt like their, their lives were going to be destroyed by their enemies. God helped them. God brought them aid and brought them together. And God has remembered to be merciful to Abraham, verse 55, and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. 15-year-old, 16-year-old, what is she thinking of? How God has taken care of her ancestors. To the Jewish people, it was their ancestors who were everything. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those ancestors and where they came from and all the, the troubles that they came through and all the difficulties that were involved in their time as a nation. He has promised our ancestors that God has taken care of us. The Messiah will come through me. Imagine that. God will take care of us just as he had taken care of his ancestors and God is going to use me to bring the Messiah that will continue to care for the nation of Israel. Verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, that verse is often overlooked. And I think of it as Mary spending three months with Elizabeth and God. (laughs) That how is this 15-year-old going to go back and face her community? How is she going to handle the pressure and telling her family that she's having a baby and it was by God who did it? How is she going to face her husband that she's betrothed to? How is she going to deal with that and how is she going to deal with her husband who has the right to have her stoned? How is she going to handle all that pressure? 15-year-old, how is she going to deal with that? And so I think that here at this time, this three months that she spends with Elizabeth, they both, under the inspiration of God, begin to work through all of these scenarios and helping her to understand and have the strength that she needs that as she she returns home, she'll be able to handle the outcast, being outcast and spoken of behind closed doors and that she is a person who, who needs to be stoned for her actions and claiming that it is divine. So verse 46, start all over again. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations shall call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
to remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's Mary's song. That's her song that she sings to God, knowing that she is with child and she's there with Elizabeth. And both of them, inspired by the Spirit, speak these words. So this is not only for Elizabeth, not only for Mary, but it's also for us. For God takes care of us. He, his hand is upon our life, and we don't understand why certain things happen the way they do, but we trust God to be with us in each situation. And whenever we trust God, it is, you know, in our Sunday school lesson, it was ask, seek, and knock, that we keep on asking, we keep on seeking, we keep on knocking, because we trust God to be with us and see us through these things. Trust, and the door will be opened. That's God's response. Knock, and the door will be opened. Seek, God's response, you will find. So as we take the words, Mary, you know, can't imagine the pressure she would have felt. <laughs> wow. I'm having a child. It is from God, but no one is going to believe me. How will I face all these individuals? God will give you the grace and mercy. How will you live your life by God's grace and his mercy, and his mercy endures forever. Amen? Father, we thank you for the blessings of your word, for the strength that comes to us, for God, the inspiration that Mary and Elizabeth would have felt. God, we pray that that same Holy Spirit that inspired them, that same Holy Spirit inspires us, the same person. And so, Lord, we ask for your inspiration as we go into this, this final week of our Christmas season. God, we pray that you would enlighten us, you would help us, that we would know as our giving of our gifts and all the things that we do, you are the gift that is most important. And it is very important that we receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We ask your blessing and guidance to be with us, with our families. Watch over us, we pray, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.